Coming up, we look at the 2016 media pitch market. So Martin Sorrell confronts the auditing community. And McKinsey's go all digital. Hello and welcome to ID.com's Media Snack, episode 33. Uh, today we've got, we're going to take a look actually at the, at the media agency pitch market. Um, you'll recall last year was incredibly busy, so what's been going on this year? Uh, Smartin Sorrell has become very vocal mm. uh, and challenged the media audit community uh, with regards to conflicts of interest. Yeah, uh, that's really interesting. And uh, finally, uh, McKinsey have branded huge sections of their business um, as a digital business now and clearly are coming after agencies lunch like never before. All coming up on today's Media Snack in just the time it takes to eat a sandwich. Right, so first up today, um, we talk a lot about media agency pitches. We talked a lot last year about the media palooza, That's right. media tsunami, what else was it called? Pitchmageddon pitch or something, Media Mageddon, uh, all these ridiculous names. That was crazy last year. We were anticipating that this would be quite busy in a different way. Yeah, that's right. We're tier two brands kind of yeah. going to review. But um, uh, I mean, last year at this time in the summer, going into July, we had Unilever, Procter & Gamble, Johnson & Johnson, Coca-Cola and yeah. L'Oreal in the US. Yeah. Uh, Sony globally, yeah. uh, I mean huge massive global brands all reviewing, yeah. yet going into the summer uh, holiday season if you like this year it's been incredibly quiet right yeah. so IKEA announced today that they have kind of concluded the first part of their review. Yeah. Uh, we understand that Diageo are getting relatively close to the conclusion of, of that process yeah. uh, and I know that there's been one or two uh, local and kind of regional reviews taking place but nothing of the significance that we saw last year. Yeah. And we were just kind of pondering as to what that, you know, why that might be. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, as we said, we, we were anticipating that it might be busy again with the second or third tier brands that would be rushing into the market to go and find their, you know, improved position or secure the best talent or change the scope of their agency agreements after those really big brands had done so uh, last year. Mm. But I think there's been some holding back. Yeah. It seems to be that the, some brands have held back. I think the biggest thing that's obviously affected the US market has been the publication of the ANA's investigation into financial management, uh, media management, um, which I think for a lot, well, most US brands, are, or many US brands are members of the ANA. Yeah. They'll have been waiting just to see the outcome of that, which makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, as we've said before, in response to that report, we wouldn't be surprised if there is now a little bit of a run on, on agency pitches and we anticipate um, US advertisers right now uh, perhaps making preparations if they feel that they were going to pitch, yeah. if they were holding back or if they feel it's appropriate or required for their business now, they'll be making preparations to probably launch those in Q4 typically. Yeah. That's right. Um, what we find, well, yeah. We find that those that we talked about these 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 are peaks and troughs in the pitch market, right? So you do we we end up doing a lot of prep, kind of February March time for pitches for the spring and summer. 
and then it will go a bit quieter. That's right. Yeah. So I mean, generally speaking, the the the, the kind of the pitch preparation takes place in spring and in autumn, yeah. uh, and the agencies have to do, unfortunately, all of their work in the summer and Christmas periods yeah. Yeah, when, when perhaps the, the advertising uh, stakeholders are having a decent break. Yeah. Um, this year has been slightly different, but we're anticipating that, uh, that Q3 will be quite busy in terms, of, in terms of preparation with those advertisers that have decided, for whatever reason, to uh, you know, consider their, their pitch launch dates uh, perhaps going into Q4. Yeah. I think from a UK and a perhaps European uh, advertiser perspective, I think Brexit's had, a, yeah. had a, a big influence. I think those brands that were considering reviewing this year have decided to uh, hold back on that decision mm-hmm. until perhaps the clarity of the situation becomes a little bit, uh, a little bit better. Yeah. Um, uh, but we are anticipating that Q3 will be busy in terms of preparation with uh, those brands going live in in Q4. So uh, the agencies should be able to enjoy a a relatively relaxed summer, uh, but brace yourselves for a challenging Christmas. Yeah, indeed. Um, And for for those brands that are thinking in that way, that are are making preparations, and perhaps they've delayed their pitch, and maybe they're using the summer to make their preparations, um, you know, what's changed? We, we, We often give advice and we do advise obviously a lot of marketers about preparing and running media agency pitches what's changed now do you think i mean given given the a and a guidelines have come out given brexit does that change the mindset of of a brand yeah. when it's pitching? I, I'm, I'm not sure i think i think it's it's placed the focus on on key areas of uh, the the pitch toolkit if you like so the contracts they will all be looking at their master services agreement. So the framework with which they will engage with their agency partners of the future. So there will be huge diligence on making sure that the contract is right and updated. Uh, Scope of work, I think, will be an important part of any pitch preparation. Identifying the right remuneration structure by which to engage with any future media partners, I think, is going to be really important because, you know, one of the accusations is that we've got ourselves in this mess because of, of poor practices when it comes to paying the agencies fairly and yeah. equitably. So I think that is going to be it. But I also, I also think that uh, defining a clear ambition for media, mm. given that media is now so high in the corporate agenda, yeah. will be uh, an important part of, of that preparation stage. Because if they understand, if clients begin to understand truly what value media can bring to their business, then they are far better at being able to articulate the role that that media agency can play in delivering yeah. against that ambition. But, and that's, that's going to be the clear difference. We saw this at the beginning of well, the 2009 recession. When we originally launched the business, <clears throat> there were, you know, and the world economy was heading into recession, was probably in recession, I think, by that point. Um, it's a great time to start a business, by the way, if you ever think about that. Um, is that many, you know, the majority of the market was heading down a can we save money from our media yeah. costs, uh, very cost focused, and we're launching media pitches really to provide, to create leverage on their agencies to negotiate down and down costs. Yeah. There may be some of that going on now because there may be brands out there who are thinking, you know, in economic uncertainty, uh, let's use the opportunity to negotiate our prices down and save some money. But we would advocate very strong, I think there's gonna be less of those these days, and we'd advocate against solely that mindset. Um, You can certainly find ways to reduce waste 
and improve efficiencies mm. in media process. But a lot of that is the client's own behavior. Yeah. It's not just delivered by negotiating agency costs down, which as we've discussed before, is a very short term yeah. uh, uh, fix, if it's a fix at all, um, because it pushes agencies into places where we've discussed a lot and the industry is discussing a lot, they perhaps become less transparent. The media being recommended is less effective to drive yeah. the business and media ceases to be an investment in growth, uh, but it's simply a cost that gets managed down and down in a race to the bottom. I couldn't agree more. And I, I think if anything, if, if the ANA report and the, the discussions around transparency have had any positive result, it has uh, uh, made it very clear to advertisers that there is a consequence of driving prices too low. Yeah. Uh, and I think that they are now going into these, perhaps these reviews, certainly the clients that we're talking to, uh, appreciate that there has to be a balance between delivering and driving a competitive pricing point yeah. with, uh, with you know, maintaining quality. Yeah, and, and, and in addition to that is, you know, uh, embracing change and behavior on the client side um, to take a bit more control of the management of media, upskill themselves, um, just get better at understanding how to work with an agency in more, in more productive ways. And that's something that we're seeing a lot more clients finding that they want to go through this self-improvement <laughs> yeah. uh, process uh, to be better clients. And they see that there's absolute value in doing so. Next up, so Martin Sorrell has challenged ubiquity mm. around conflict of interest. Yeah. So why is there a conflict of interest with regards to ubiquity? Well, I, I mean, he's accusing them of a conflict of interest. I don't know whether we agree that there is necessarily a conflict of interest. But the important thing to understand, and he talks about media auditors. We talk a lot in this industry about media auditors, but the reality is there isn't such a thing, actually, as a media auditor. Um, when people say the word media auditor, which is what Ubiquity would call themselves, what they mean is a company that can benchmark your pricing yeah. against somebody else's pricing and a pool of other clients' pricing. Yeah. Um, there's no actual audit work. There's no requirement for the people that are conducting that to be accountants, chartered accountants, have any kind of forensic financial skills, really, other than being able to compare data, data sets. But you need to be an expert in, in media, right? So you need to have had kind of TV trading experience? It, it would help uh, to understand more the nuance of how agencies work, yeah. I think makes a better media benchmarker. Yeah. Uh, let's call them media benchmarkers. Uh, but what Sorrell's saying is that there's potentially a conflict of interest between uh, an ubiquity type business, which is benchmarking costs and maybe run media pitches and things like that, yeah. uh, and a business like Firm Decisions, which is a contract compliance auditor yeah. owned by ubiquity yeah. so this is his accusation and there's a very clear difference in the in the work that they do the contract compliance auditor firm decisions will go in and be given very privileged access with permission of the agency to go and look at their books mm -hmm. to confirm that the agency are complying with their contractual obligations but they'll also they'll have visibility of, of you know, financial statements and they'll sit with the FD or the CFO of the agency yeah. um, and get a lot of visibility in the business of, of that agency. So a very privileged peek into the agency's 
books. Uh, Martin Sorrell, so Martin Sorrell's accusation uh, or suggestion is that there could be a conflict of interest there because if one part of the business can go in and see the agency's books, yeah. they may be able to identify practices which in theory could be exploited yeah. by the company from uh, if they manage media pitches, for example, because they would potentially have the ability to go to that same client mm -hmm. and say, look at the mess in that agency, you should take your business for pitch and that's good profitable business for ubiquity. Yeah. So I think that's where he's saying that there is a conflict potentially. Although from ubiquity's perspective, you can see that they are complementary. So you have the, the media benchmarking, auditing yeah. piece and the compliance piece. So if I'm a client uh, and I want to have reassurance that my agency is delivering against the cost commitments yeah. that they promised in yeah. my review, I would use ubiquity to make sure that. But also I would want uh, that same firm to go in and make sure that the agency are compliant with the contract that we've agreed. Yeah. So they are complementary in terms of yeah. skill set. Yeah. I mean, my, my challenge though, if I'm a, if I'm a client, uh, especially if I use one of the Group M agencies and I use Ubiquity and Firm Decisions as my kind of three core key media partners, yeah. is that I don't want them fighting. Yeah. I don't want them bickering uh, because that does me no good whatsoever. What I want them doing is focusing on the key issues that I see as critical to my business. I yeah. want them working out ways of dealing with ad fraud and working out ways of negating ad blocking. Yeah. So I don't want them infighting, taking each other to court. I want them working together, focusing on the key issues of my business. Yeah. Yeah. So is this story a big deal? Not really. I don't think so. I think it's just an example of uh, just this brewing tension, I think, between yeah. agencies and the auditors, as we discussed with re reference to the, these same companies going to the court, high court in the UK um, last week. Um, I think, but I think the conflict of interest is a good question, but I think it's misguided or misaimed at the wrong, yeah. perhaps the wrong businesses. Um, you know, from a client perspective, I think where you may have concerns on conflict of interest is if, you're, if you work with a consultant or an advisor or an auditor or any of the kind of so-called independent you know, advisory companies, of which we are one, yeah. um, what you should be asking is, do they have any commercial relationship with the agencies that they are auditing or advising you about? Because in our, in our experience, there's a whole raft of these auditors or agencies that have that offer and sell services and products and tools to the agency community. And that, if there's anywhere where there's conflict of interest, that is where there should be questions. But then it comes down to disclosure. Yeah. Okay, so if I'm a client and I understand the commercial relationships that my auditing or consulting partner has with agencies, then that's fine. Yeah. I can appreciate and filter perhaps any advice they give me in that knowledge. Yeah. It is when there is lack of disclosure yeah. that perhaps would be an issue. Yeah. So uh, you know, it's all about understanding, I think, the commercial relationships that consulting companies have with all of their kind of vendor and agency uh, community. Yeah, great. Okay, so finally this week, um, McKinsey, the well-known global management consultant business, uh, has launched a brand called Digital McKinsey. Catchy name. Yeah, it's clever. Um, which brings together all of their 
internal digital assets yeah. uh, under this other internal brand. And I think the idea is that, you know, as trusted advisors uh, and consultants to some of the world's largest companies, that the CEOs of those companies are really looking for guidance yeah. in digital transformation. It's an, int an interesting story, and on the back of of a media snack topic that we discussed a couple of weeks ago when yeah. we profiled uh, the big four that had gone into digital yeah. in the big way. So Accenture Interactive, IBM Interactive, yeah. Deloitte Digital were just swallowing up masses amounts of digital revenue yeah. at the expense of the traditional agencies. And, and this is another example of, of, a, of a management consultant company, a massive yeah. management consultancy, coming in, seeing an opportunity within the digital space. Yeah. It's got 2,100 people, I think, that it's brought together from all of their units yeah. that are going to be formed to, to create this kind of digital operation. Uh, and I would be worried if I, was, if I was an agency. I mean, these guys, we talked about consulting privilege before, mm. but these guys have deep-rooted you know, C-suite relationships with yeah. a lot of the big advertisers that, that work with the traditional holding companies. And yeah. these guys are going to go in there with a transformational message. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, this, the agencies are going to be squeezed further and further, I think, in this yeah. space. That would worry me. And because and you know, part of that service inevitably looks at digital marketing practice. And so they'll be you know, advising on strategies for digital yeah. transformation of marketing, you know, tools and vendors. They even provide their own digital agency services now. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I think that's where, I think perhaps we're at a point now where that may stunt the ambitions of the big agency groups who perhaps saw themselves you know, aspiring to be you know, transformation consultants and all yeah. this kind of stuff. I think it's clear that most agencies are a bit more further down the chain in terms of execution. Yeah. Yeah. And these big consulting companies now have are firmly in that space absolutely. of digital transformation absolutely. of businesses. So it's changing the whole kind of ecosystem, I think. Yeah. And it's, it's absolutely fascinating, but it's slightly worrying if you're one of the big uh, traditional agencies. Yeah. Okay, that's all for this week. Thanks very much for watching. Bye for now. Have a good weekend.